Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Latin Dance Community Podcast. I hope you have been enjoying my interviews over the past couple weeks. Uh, it's been quite fun to speak with someone besides myself for these podcasts, I gotta say. And today I have one more interview to share with you. Uh, what's really cool about this is that our guest today, Daniel Casero, is just a regular salsa dancer like me and like you. And he doesn't have a studio. He doesn't teach or perform every weekend at congresses. But he's someone who lives and breathes salsa in our global community. And the best part is that I met Daniel through this very podcast. He actually tweeted at me after listening to one of the episodes. And from there, I wrangled him onto the show. And he's a cool guy, funny guy, a knowledgeable guy on all things salsa. And I'm really excited to share his story and perspective with you. And before we get started with this interview, I just want to mention that if you haven't subscribed yet, please check out the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and share it with your friends. Or if you're feeling especially generous, leave us a five-star review. Those really do help out. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can tweet at RobJCast or just email Rob at LatinDanceCommunity.com. And now on with today's show. Enjoy. Whippa. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. So you know how to walk. You know how to dance. You ever dance with the devil in the day of the night? Like, let's just jump right into it. Like, I, I, know, I know nothing about you, man, besides, okay, what I know is you like to travel a lot. I know you like to dance salsa. I know you saw my TED Talk, and you live in the U.K. And that's about all that I know. So why don't you start out by just telling me a little bit about yourself, how you, um, I guess your background in salsa, but also your background in life. All right. Well, let's see. Um, where, do, where to start? Um, I am Colombian, sort of. Um, my parents are Colombian, my family's Colombian, um, but I, and I lived in Colombia for about, oh, I want to say eight years, but I didn't actually, um, I wasn't actually born in Colombia, I was born in, uh, Montreal. Um. So you were in Montreal uh, and then you moved to Colombia. Yes. When, when you were like a, a baby, like young. Yeah, like th two, three years old, like right after my brother was born. Okay. Is, um, is, is Colombia where you kind of got into the whole salsa thing, or did that happen later? Uh, actually, no. The story goes that um, my parents do not dance. They hate dancing. Uh, my mother's side of the family does like to dance a lot, and especially my grandfather. My grandfather was um, uh, he was a big, big dancer uh, over in uh, Cucuta, which is where my family originates from. That's kind of on the east side of Colombia. Um, and, uh, and his father was a professional dancer back in Chicago, like a long, long time ago when, like, you know, people didn't dance salsa, they danced uh, cha-cha and rumba. Got it. And, so that must and, have been around, what, like the 50s, 50s, 60s? Yeah, something like that. I remember looking at the dates at some point, and it was like, it was like, forties or something. And it's funny because I saw, I remember seeing a commercial. This was for, gosh, what's the guy's name? Arthur Murray. So this was for an Arthur Murray commercial when the guy was still alive, and they were advertising like this new dance that everyone can dance called the cha cha. And they, they plugged it as like a super easy dance. Like, this is way easier than salsa. And they said, you know, for all you white people who don't know how to dance, dance the cha-cha. And it's funny just because now it's the exact opposite where people in the salsa community, we see salsa as less difficult than cha-cha. It's funny how that has completely flipped as far as everyone that I've ever talked to. Yeah, yeah. It's um, – the it, it, Cha-cha-cha cha is actually older than uh, salsa, uh, if I remember correctly. But it is, uh, I don't know why it, it is that now it's gotten more difficult. I guess it, because for a long time, nobody cared about, you know, on one and on two. And, but now it's definitely like, if you're going to dance cha-cha-cha, it has to be on two. Like, you can't, you know, mix that up. Yeah, um, I, I think I think it's honestly 
we're just taught different things now. I, I think that the teaching maybe was different back then because with cha-cha, the biggest challenge is just how slow it is and the basic cha-cha step. But it's almost like you you got to force yourself to slow down and if you don't have good body movement, then you're going to feel awkward. You're like, uh, I'm not doing anything. I'm not stepping right now. I, this feels weird, you know? Yeah, and I guess, I guess that would make sense because um, my great-grandfather, he danced uh, cha-cha-cha and uh, waltz. And, you know, back when, you know, back in his day, like, people would dance the waltz a lot more than they do now. Like, now people do dance a lot faster. They do tend to be, like, a little bit more frenetic in their dancing. Uh, but back in, in those days, it was, like, it, it was very much about being slow and about being smooth and, yeah. you know. Just yeah. things have changed. So then you were really inspired to get into dancing, not so much because of your direct interaction with like your, your your parents, maybe more with your family, maybe more just hearing about how grandpa was a great dancer back in the 50s, 60s, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it started out as like, I, like the little kind of family joke. Uh, my family used to joke that it was kind of like a huge, like, you know, horror that the oldest grandson in the family didn't know how to dance. And that was kind of like a huge trauma for me. Uh -huh. So um, <laughs> when I went and when we moved to the States, it was kind of like um, I kind of ran away from dancing because it was kind of this thing where I felt like really like quite ashamed about it i was like mm -hmm. i can't dance i don't know how to dance i don't know how to do this thing so i'm just gonna like run away and then when i was about uh 17 18 my grandfather uh had his first heart surgery and we all thought that you know that was it. like he was he was gone and when he actually survived i sort of became obsessed with the idea that i didn't want my grandfather to die without ever seeing me dance so um, I just kind of like started really trying to make that happen. Uh, there were kind of a bunch of false starts uh, in school and in my like first year of university. And then finally, my second year of university, I had a friend that was like, okay, you know, you're Latino, you don't know how to dance. Uh, you keep talking about this whole obsession with uh, your gran grandfather and his dancing. It's time we do something about this. And he dragged me out to my first proper dance class with um, with uh, with my the salsa group at my university, and that's that's kind of where it all started. Uh, I kind of like after that I really got into it because I had a support group that kind of like kept me uh, from basically um, ditching it out of frustration uh, mm. because I am a perfectionist and if I'm not doing it right I get really really upset <laughs> it will, with with your story I teach here in Gainesville Florida and I will say 95% of the people I talk to who are from a Latin country, right? Not not like grew up and born in the States, but people who spent a lot of time in somewhere in South America, Latin America, that come to class, and it's usually like a guy 18 to 20 years old will walk up to me. I'll be like, hey, man, you know, come into class. And uh, I ask everyone, I was like, so why, why are you coming to class? He's like, well, you know, I'm Latin, and I don't know how to dance, so I figure I should know. You know, it's like it's some permutation of that for so many individuals and it's um i mean it's part of your birthright in a way i mean certainly if someone's colombian they think salsa is one of the first things that identify you with your nationality would you agree yeah that's that's pretty much how it goes like uh there's kind of like especially when you're abroad when you're in colombia it isn't quite as uh like you don't get that sense the same way, but if you go abroad mm. and you tell somebody, "Oh yeah, by and by the way, I'm Colombian or I'm uh, Peruvian or whatever," the first thing people are gonna go uh, is like, "Oh really? Do you know how to dance or something like that?" Yeah, like teach and... me a dance. I've, I've always wanted to learn to dance salsa. Can you teach me? 
and you're like, uh, how about we, yeah, well, about we talk about something else? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Neil Gaiman and Lord of the Rings. How about that? Can we do that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, the, the whole idea of, you're, you're spot on, is that these feelings of, like, my identity and my ethnicity and my nationality, those are not so strong when you're in that location, or at least they're not perceived to be as strong. But when you go outside of your location, when you're traveling in a new country, I'll give another example. Like, um, uh, let, let's say you are traveling in Paris. Okay, so I'm traveling in Paris, and I'm on the train station, and I hear someone with an English-American-sounding accent. And I'm like, hey, are you from America? He's like, yeah, I'm from New York. You're like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Florida. And you're like instant best friends, your best buddies. But yeah. if you were to meet each other in the United States, you'd be like, well, okay, you're just another stranger. But it becomes stronger because you are in a foreign country where you're looking for people who share a common set of beliefs as you do. And in that case, people from New York and Florida are a lot more similar than someone from Paris. Yep. Pretty much, that's a, that's kind of how things go. When you're when you're abroad, uh, I, I actually saw it happen a lot with um, being involved with different uh, international kind of student societies, uh, where even it, it doesn't even have to be uh, that you share uh, common nationality. Just the fact that you are foreign in a country. Like in the UK, in Paris, in uh, Belgium, I saw it happen a lot. It, just the fact that you are foreign in a foreign country makes you have like an instant connection because then at that point you're just kind of going like, oh, the, you know, the, the, the French people, they do this thing and so weird, right? Yeah, they, that's just so weird. <laughs> Why is that? And yeah, it, it, it just kind of like creates a kind of a, a, a place to bond over, essentially. For sure, for sure. So I, I want to know about your first Congress. Uh, when was that, and how would you say that you changed after your first Congress? And maybe for any of the listeners who have not yet attended a SAS Congress or a Bachata Congress or whatever kind of Congress floats your boat there, just tell them about that first experience. Okay, well, let's see. My first Congress was the, the Vancouver International Salsa Congress. Uh, back when they had it, um, and I, I kind of like they were starting this thing, and they were and people were very very excited about it in the salsa community in Vancouver, and um, I wanted to go, but I didn't have money, so I talked to my salsa instructor who was involved with the congress, and he got me in as a volunteer. And nice. uh, that was great. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was really kind of that moment in my life where I kind of went, yeah, I'm like, I'm a dancer. I'm not just like, you know, doing dance classes. I'm not just kind of like, you know, this is not a hobby. This is really kind of like a big part of my life. Um and while I was there, I actually got to meet uh, Alvaro Torres. We kind of have like a little giggle over it because I didn't know who he was. And so I wouldn't let him <laughs> into the Congress. And that, well, that, when they told me who he was, it was kind of like that moment where you go, oh, um, can I please die now? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> man, that's funny. I've actually never met Albert, but I know how involved he is with so many Congresses. But that is one of the things that I love about this community is that everyone is so accessible. You can meet the the top, top of top people in the South community, in the Bachata community, and just have a conversation with them. Talk, talk down, talk, talk with them, sit down with them, talk. Uh, it's incredible. Like you could sit down with A. Torres, same thing. You could sit down with uh, Magna Gopal. You could just take a private class with Magna, which I did. Um, it's just so awesome how accessible these people are, where I think that's the benefit of being involved in kind of a niche community in this way, is that it's not like you're involved in, you know, Major League Baseball, you know, or some other community where it's really tough to get access. Everyone's extremely accessible. Yeah, that that is very much true. That's one of those things that I, that being, that working in that Salsa Congress and being involved with the Salsa community actually taught me was that at the end of the day, people are just people. 
And especially if you live in, in a place like Vancouver, uh, where there's a lot of uh, TV filming that happens in Vancouver, like you get used to the idea of seeing like stars walking around and seeing like people that you've seen on TV or, you know, uh, heard about or whatever, uh, like actually seeing them. And uh, from my involvement with the salsa community, it really became that I'm very much comfortable just walking up to them and being like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that translates also to your approach with dancing. Because if you see someone that you know really well and you may at first feel intimidated, like, oh, my gosh, I've seen her on YouTube. She's got like a million views on her dance on YouTube. I can't go and dance with her. Same thing. Just forgetting about that. People, like you said, people are just people. It's going up asking yeah. anyone you want to dance. Totally cool. That being said, I, I have found that some, quote, unquote, celebrity dancers are more interested in social dancing and some are less interested in social dancing so mm. uh you will get a bit of a luck of the draw as far as actually dancing with some of those people but still i think the overall impression is everyone's very accessible with dancing as well oh yeah and the way that and that i usually handle it is like if they're on if if they're at a dance floor if they're on the dance floor they're probably interested in social dancing like yeah, people that and that kind of like move away from dance floor, it's because they don't want to dance. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I want to say like, you're likely to uh, chat up a girl that is sitting by the bar, but not the one that is sitting at the corner table kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, agreed. And you could also bring that to, I find the most advanced dancers are on the carpet and on the sides where there are less people as opposed to in the middle of the dance floors because they just don't want to get bumped into by others. Uh, a lot more catastrophes can happen in the middle of the dance floor as well. So they do have tend to have these certain areas that they fall into. Well, it, it's interesting. Like one of my... What was that? There was a dinging sound. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, one of those things that I've noticed from dancing is that you can generally kind of like almost like do like uh like figure out a person's i want to say social strata like what their position is i don't want to say in their community but at least uh in the community that it forms at a specific event by looking at what place on the dance floor they have and it usually happens that people that are kind of like the center of attention are probably going to be closer to the kind of like um closer to the dj uh sort of either closer to the center or off to the yep. sides um yep. whereas kind of like you know i want to say the um, the peasants <laughs> kind of tend to move farther away from the dj and off out into kind of like um i want to say the peripherals of the nightclub or the the dance hall. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny you bring in like these, you know, class structures, social structures into it because I see I certainly see salsa as that. I agree with you. Mm. And I also see it as where you're saying like, oh crap, like peasants and and nobles or whatever you want to call it. But the cool thing is that unlike back in sixteenth century England with salsa it is all merit based. That is, if you continue improving as a dancer, if you put in the time that puts you up in the ranks and not just because you're becoming a better dancer but by becoming a better dancer you are expressing to the community who cares about salsa dancing how much you care about salsa dancing right yeah. because if you continue improving that's telling everyone hey this is something that's really important to me and because it's important to you that also lifts you in the social strata yeah i prefer to think about it not in in a medieval context but more of in a tribal context like you do see this a lot with indigenous cultures where uh kind of like i want to say the people that that are uh, that are kind of like like the strongest warrior uh tends to be the best dancer too like if you see if you see it in native tribes in Latin America, the the person that is the best hunter, the 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 toughest warrior, tends to be the one that dances the hardest, uh, mm. and therefore tends to be the one that is at uh, 
um, sort of the the center of um, what they call in uh, Capoeira uh, the the Hola, which is yeah the Hola, which is the the kind of they form a ring and then there's like the combat that happens within it. Uh, and there's a, and the person that is at the center are the ones that are kind of like dancing for that brief moment. Uh, capoeira being kind mm-hmm. of like a halfway between, you know, martial arts and dancing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, so actually on that same note, and as far as as far as improving as a as a dancer as well is tell me about when you first started teaching. How long ago was that, and and what kind of transition did you make? as you were becoming a teacher and not just a dancer? Well, um, I started teaching when I went on exchange to the UK. Uh, that was uh, back in 2010, I want to say. Um, and what did you teach? Uh, oh, I what taught, did you start teaching? I started teaching uh, salsa classes in, um, in my university. Like That was kind of like how I got my drinking money. <laughs> and that, that, yeah that's great was that uh was that on one or on two that was on one um okay. uh, like yeah i want to say la style is more prevalent than uh new york just because it there's less of a headache around timing like mm-hmm. um but yeah so i started teaching it in the uk uh just kind of like by this point i had been dancing for i want to say like maybe two or three years and it was kind of like okay like i want like i want to keep salsa dan- uh keep salsa dancing when i go to the uk but there wasn't like a real strong dance community in uh, norwich which is where i was living so i was just kind of like okay there is like people don't salsa dance, especially not university students. So I'm kind of going to make this happen. So <laughs> I started teaching, um, and uh, teaching really kind of like it. It, it kind of brought up um, a lot of things. One of those things is like you, in order to teach, you really gotta understand what you're doing. Like, it really has to be, like, you don't really know what you're doing until you have to actually go and teach it to someone. And um, so that was one thing. And then the other thing that happened was, like, okay, so in order to teach something, uh, I have to really understand it. Therefore, if I don't really understand it, I shouldn't be teaching, which kind of leads back to kind of a kind of um. Uh, Catch-22, where it's like I kind of got imposter syndrome. I was kind of going <laughs> like, what the hell am I doing uh, teaching? Like, this is, like, uh, this is j- just so wrong. Like, you know, leave the teaching to the professionals kind of thing. And, and it really doesn't work that way. Like, uh, one of those things that I really got from hanging out with um, a lot of very prevalent dancers in the salsa world was like they all basically went went somewhere along the lines of you know like everybody had to learn sometime like there was even the best dancers once upon a time they were looking at this and going oh my god how do i do this shit (laughs) uh you're absolutely right and some people improve faster than others i would be probably Mm -hmm. on the slower side of improvement but everyone gets better it it just happens uh, it seems so overwhelming at first when you think about all the things you have to learn but you just got to build that brick wall starting with one brick and then the second yeah. brick and then the, then the third brick yeah and and you know the at the end of the day one of those things that i've really learned from dancing in latin america has been that it's really not about the fancy stuff like it's really really not uh, when you go dancing in like Kali here, um, people don't do like really fancy combinations. They don't do shines per se. Like they're not they're not particularly interested in doing fancy moves. Essentially, they're just really interested in like really like really feeling what they are doing. So. Mm. Um, 
And, and so it would be it would my, be almost like like musicality is what is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like uh, one of my salsa instructors used to say, it's not about doing really cool things like really fancy moves. It's about doing like it's not about doing big things. It's about doing small things well. Agreed. Agreed. You know, it, and, and I would add to that also that everything is contextual in salsa. Mm. In, as I approach it, everything is contextual to who you're dancing with. It's contextual to how many people are around you. It's contextual to how late it is in the night. Um, it's also contextual to what time it is in the song and what's happening in the song with the music. And that sounds like a lot of complications there. But mm. uh, but but you have to take those things into consideration if you want to have a really great, great dance. But I think at the end of the day, it's just about having fun. I, I was going to ask you this question. I'll answer my own question first, which is what is the mindset that you have when you go into a dance with someone? And for me, I used to have that mindset of, you know, I'm going to impress them. Here are the moves I'm going to do. It's going to be great. They're going to want to dance with me again. And I, I have shifted that significantly over the years to how can I build a connection with this person? I, I'm really connection focused. And to your point, I find that if I do really complicated moves, unless they are contextually relevant, which oftentimes they are not, it hurts the connection. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, the way I see it, I actually thought about it talking to a friend the other day is um, my attitude around not only dancing, but in general tends to be I am, there's a big difference between impressing somebody and seducing somebody. Uh, and that's kind of like the way that I like to think about it. Uh, seduction is all about connecting. It's all about kind of like, it's all about kind of like being interested in the other person enough to get them interested in you. Does that make sense? It does, and and I, I like the the term seduction. I don't see that as a negative word. I, I feel like some people may have that negative connotation with the term seduction, but it's not. There's actually some great TED talks about the idea of seduction as well. Yeah, yeah, and I've probably seen them all. Um, <laughs> I know you're a big TED star. That's how we connected. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yep. But yeah, so that so that's where I go. It's like when I. When I take somebody out to dance, it's really like I want to, like, I want them to have a great time. Like, yep. I, I it kind of like I try and forget about me in a way and about, you know, about l me looking good, about me having fun. It might be also the, the whole uh, teacher background coming in there, but it really does become of like, if they're having a great time, I'm having a great time. So, like, it's really, really hard not to have a, like, not to be having a great time when you're with somebody that is having a great time. And to, and if you're kind of like, especially if you're the instigator of that. Right. Um, I, so for there, me, there's it, this. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, man. No, no I was just going to say, like, I was just going to essentially re-elaborate the point. Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll consider it re-elaborated. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to find this quote that I love, and I'm going to have to paraphrase because I can't locate it. If I do find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But it's this quote by this guy who was running for prime minister. Um, <laughs> these two guys were running for prime minister in England. This was back in the 1800s. And mm -hmm. it was the two days before the election. Everyone was going to vote. And they both actually went on dates with the same woman within the same week. So, oh, of course, the I papers. I remember yeah. hearing about this. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the papers were all over this. And they loved They're like, we got to interview this woman, see who she thinks should be prime minister. And she says of the first guy, well, he, he was obviously the smartest person that I've ever met. Right? He was the smartest guy I've ever met. And then for the second person, the guy who ultimately became PM, was he made me think that I was the smartest person 
in the room, you know, the smartest person that I've ever met. So the idea of, well, you're smart versus you're making me feel smart. That was the difference between the two prime ministers and how they talked to her. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, I forget. I forget. I don't know if it was like Winston Churchill or something like that. But yes. Uh, and that's kind of the same way that I like to think about dancing. It's like it, it, the best way to like as a guy, as a as a lead uh, to um, to determine whether you're a great dancer is not whether you can do lots of crazy things. It's that when you dance with somebody that they come off the dance floor thinking that you know, that they dance great. Like one of those things that like is the greatest compliment for me is when I take uh, somebody out dancing and they come off the dance floor and they say, um, I've never danced like that before. Hmm. And I'm like, that's a good yes. one, man. Yeah. How often do you get that one? That's, I, I think I may have gotten that once or twice. Dang. <laughs> I don't know. Got something I don't to shoot know. for I now. Mean, I mean, I was used to dancing with a, a lot of beginners. So with beginners, they get, they get like, you know, like starstruck when that happens. And when I was in the UK, it would happen a lot. So right. um, I for, get it. For me, Sorry, go ahead, man. I'm I'm no, bad at this interrupting you today, man. Please go ahead. No, you just gave me so excited talking about this topic. So go go continue. Yeah. No, the, for me, it's like uh, because I was dancing with lots of people that didn't have a lot of experience. It's like it really doesn't take a whole lot to make somebody feel great about their dancing, about themselves. It's like really, you just gotta like appreciate the fact that they're dancing and then the rest just kind of like you know happens yeah th there's a lot we can talk about with dancing with beginners but before i lose my train here with the mm. uh the, the reaction that i'm looking to get is mm -hmm. it, it, it's getting them to have enough fun and enjoying the dance enough so that two things happen the the lesser of the two the the best one i'll go over second but the first one is just to have other women come up and ask me to dance now i definitely is of, am of the mindset that i ask women to dance but mm. sometimes i'm getting off the dance floor and i'm kind of scanning the room and someone will tap me on the shoulder and say hey would you like to dance i always consider that a good sign because women are not dumb you know they can see from a dance not only how good you are but also how much fun the lady is having that you're dancing with. So hmm. ladies are watching you dance. They know that. The second thing, though, that happens to me on occasion is they tap me on the shoulder. They say, hey, my friend who just danced with you said that I have to dance with you. And it's a direct referral asking them to dance with me. And that is what I think is the best. Because if they enjoy the dance enough that they're telling their friends, hey, you got to dance with this guy. You'll have a great time. That's the ultimate for me. Yeah, I, and it's not, me, it's it's not so much to massage my ego. It's not so much to massage my ego, but I think it's the objective measure of if I gave that woman that follow a good dance. Yeah, and that's a, and that's a good way of seeing it. Um, and it and it also speaks a lot to your, I want to say, like your demeanor, your character, um, because. Especially women that aren't um, follows that aren't uh, like advanced dancers, very experienced dancers. Um, they will not only like approach somebody who is a good dancer, but also who is a nice dancer, who is approachable, mm -hmm. who is like who who will not sneer at them essentially. So, yeah, and adding one more thing to that list is a non-smelly dancer. You know, this happened actually at the mm. Orlando Salsa Congress I was at this weekend. And all joking aside, um, there were women that came up to me, and, and I'm like, hey, you should ask that guy to dance. And she's like, no, he smells terrible. I dance with him. Um, Ouch. Those, those, those hygienic issues, man, like those hygienic issues, if those are not handled, those are the kinds of things that they can't they – can't guarantee a great experience but if you don't have them they're they're table stakes you know if you don't have them yeah. there's no way you can have a good dance no matter how good you are if you smell terrible or if you have some kind of weird i don't know facial hair thing going on i don't know whatever it is yeah. but 
those kinds well, of things have to be handled. Can I can I hop in there? It's like yeah. it's um it's like you would not go to a date without de- wearing deodorant, right? Mm-hmm. Like you would not right. go to uh on a date with somebody that you find really 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 attractive without wearing deodorant, without putting on cologne, without wearing your best shirt or whatever depending on who they are, but, you know. Uh, but, but I tend to think about dancing with somebody the same way. When I go out dancing with somebody, when I ask somebody out to dance, it's essentially like asking them out on a date. They're, you're asking them to give you um, time out of their life to spend it with you. And so, it, and so I tend to think about it as, you know, if somebody's giving me the time out of their day to uh, spend time with me, I better make it worth it. And mm. so, the, and so, you know, there, there follows the, the dating metaphor. You would not go to a date without wearing deodorant. You would not go to a date without taking a shower. If you are, that's probably she, why she's <laughs> not calling you back. Um, probably, probably that's gonna be tough. But and and I hate to say, it, but some people deodorant is not enough. Not even like perfume and cologne are not enough. Sometimes it's fundamentally like what you eat that's causing that smell, or mm. what you drink that's causing that smell. Uh, whatever it is, I think the the best thing you can do. We actually had a post about this on LDC, which one of the recommendations was simply talk to one of your trusted friends, and position it in such a way like, hey, I'm just looking for some honest feedback. Do I smell? It may be an awkward conversation, but you have to ask someone else. Don't trust your own nose on this stuff because you are surrounded by it. You are definitely a subjective witness there. Yeah, and and everybody's subjective uh, about smell. Like it, it's True. one of those really tricky things. Um, it's kind of like don't wear don't wear too much cologne. Don't wear don't wear like don't wear no cologne. Don't wear too much cologne. Don't wear uh, like deodorant is a little bit harder, but mm-hmm. but don't wear too much deodorant because then it will stink up in the floor. One of those things that works great for me because I tend to sweat a ton uh, is that I tend to have uh, spare shirts. Uh, and I dress like in layers, so I can kind of go like, okay, uh, we're at the, uh, I've been dancing in the same shirt for like, uh, I want to say like two hours or so. It's time to change, so I kind of go to the bathroom, take it, and take out another T-shirt. And that's one of those nice things about most salsa events is that um, they tend to be, at least in Vancouver, very very casual. So uh, me wearing a T-shirt was not a big deal. So it was kind of like, okay, so I sweated through my uh, button-down shirt. I'm changing into a T-shirt now. Great. Okay, so now I can go and dance again, and it's fine. Because, you know, there's one, there's the smell side, and and also there's the the fact that you become... wet and clammy and sticky and that's also uncomfortable for women definitely definitely uh. um the there was this like uh i've tried several things for sweating i've tried the the sweat rags you know the salsa rags uh, which mm-hmm. work okay you also want to put on undershirts i definitely do the undershirts a lot with all of my clothing uh, that helps a little bit with the main sweat areas there's also this thing called sweat block which Honestly, man, I am scared to death to use it. It's still unopened package in my room. I'm looking at it right now. I'm just afraid to use it because it, like, stops you from sweating, which does not seem healthy. But if you really want to go to extremes, that may be something to look into as well. It's like one of these wipes that just stops all the pores from sweating for a long amount of time. And I I don't know like I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about because I haven't seen sweat block. I haven't been in the States for like uh four or five years now um but uh, there is kind of like a variation of that in colombia right now called no sweat um and it's supposed to be like they sell it at a herbalist uh kind of uh naturopathy places but the idea is that it it will block 
it's like a deodorant. It will block your, um, it will cause you to sweat less through your armpits. And the theory around that, I was talking to a, to a cousin of mine who was the one that recommended it to me, and he's an athlete. And he was saying is that it's not that, you know, you don't sweat. Is that the sweat that would come out your armpits gets redistributed to other places in your head, such as, or in your body, like, like your head, like your feet. Uh, okay. That's another one. That's another one. Uh, don't take off your dance shoes anywhere near a dance floor because, uh, (laughs) you know, the, the, the feet smell will go on for miles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is it, what, what kind of dance shoes do you wear by the way? Um, I have quite a few. Um, I have, what are your uh, like go-to ones? What, what are your standard ones that you will wear most nights? Well, that's the thing is that my go-to dance shoes are missing in action now um i had a pair of ballo dance shoes ballo is a company in uh in canada that i would recommend they do uh flat dance shoes for guys and for women as well they kind of like are very kind of uh casual sporty dance shoes uh and those used to be my favorite um i would wear uh i like to wear suede when uh, i go out dancing because it does great for the spins and stuff. Um, so those were some dance shoes that I like to wear. If I'm going out for um, to a more formal event and, and there might be tango involved, I will wear um, my Cuban heels. I have uh, some uh, shoes that are men's shoes, but they have kind of like a little bit of a heel. Like I want to say maybe about... Uh, I wear them big, so it's kind of like about uh, an inch... Or so, and that's really that's really tall for a guy. That's a really tall heel for a guy. Um, and um, besides that, I'll wear um, I'll just wear like regular formal shoes that have a leather uh, sole for the spinning right. and stuff. Uh, right. if, this is if I'm going to like really hardcore dance events. If I'm not, not going to a hardcore dance event, if I'm just going to uh, go out partying with some friends or something, I'll probably wear tennis shoes uh, or mm-hmm. I'll probably wear like regular shoes. Like I just don't care too much for it. But I, it does limit my uh, spinning ability. So I'll probably just not spin. I'll probably like not care too much about doing spins. And I'll just kind of like walk through my turns, kind of thing. Right. The, I used to wear Converse a lot, uh, just the Chuck Taylors, which I really like. But what I would actually put on the bottom of those is a strip of um, what's it called? Uh, the uh, masking oh, it's like tape. The easiest word ever. No, 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 no. It's the uh, the ripping, the sticky hook hook thing. Uh, <laughs> You know the the fuzzy. There's the fuzzy side. There's the hook side. It goes Velcro. That's it. Ah. So they have they have Velcro at Lowe's where it's like tape Velcro. So one side is the sticky adhesive side. The other side is the Velcro. So I'd snip off a little piece of that and I'd put it on the bottom of my Converse. And it's the hard side, not the fluffy side. You'd think it was the fluffy, but the hard side works way better. And you can actually spin really well with just a spot mainly on the ball of the foot area. So you put it on the ball of the foot area, and you can spin really well with that, contacting to pretty much any floor, including like concrete, wood, um, really anything works with that. So that was my trick for a while. But I do not dance in Converse anymore. I don't like to do it simply because of the weight. Uh, Converse are pretty heavy, as are most normal shoes pretty heavy, at least for guys. And that's why my go-to shoes now are jazz shoes and Toms. I love both of them. Jazz shoes, for obvious reasons, those are a standard, certainly, for a lot of dancers. They're so light. Uh, they're so lightweight, and they're flexible, and they, like, let my feet stretch as, you know, the, the night gets uh, later, your feet will stretch with more, uh, more fluid, get more uh, inflamed and everything. So it helps to have that. The Toms, I love because of the, um, 
the bottom of the toms, whatever that material is, you can spin almost as well as with suede with tom shoes. And you can wear them anywhere. You can wear them outside, inside, uh, normal stuff. Doesn't matter. You won't ruin them just by making them an outdoor shoe as well. So I really love my toms and I really love jazz shoes. Besides that, I don't wear much else at, at this point. Just really those two. And that gets me through most formal occasions as well because I can still wear jazz shoes with nice clothes and it still fits pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to have a pair of uh, of jazz shoes before um, before they died. Um, <laughs> that, that's kind of one of those really awkward things as a dancer is that is that you will burn through shoes a lot. Uh, which for some people it's great. For some people it really sucks. Like for me, where you know when budget becomes a problem, uh, it's kind of like having my dance shoes die is kind of like ah great because um dance shoes aren't always cheap um when i there's also when i'm in like a serious like to go situation and i don't want to wear nice shoes sometimes i used to like put like a little bit of scotch tape like same thing on the balls of the feet and that will work great once like you will have to take that and that scotch tape off by the end of the day because it gets demolished. Right. Try try that Velcro, man. Uh, give it a shot. I think you may like it. It's pretty cost effective. You get like a full roll that'll last o- over a year for yeah. um for about twenty bucks. So yeah, I, I, I want to be mindful of uh, I want to be mindful of your time. So I just have one last question and then we can wrap this puppy up, uh, which sure. is wh- what's your favorite salsa memory? So you've been in the scene since I believe you said 2010 for, was your first Congress, but even earlier than that. So what are the one or two memories that really jump out to you as something that you cherish most as being a part of this community? Oh, God, I have so many, so, 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 so many. Um, But really, it it would have to be, um, I want to wrap all my experience dancing in Europe into one, because that really was like, um, I was a shy kid as as a kid. and uh, and when I was moving to Europe, to the UK on exchange the first time around, one of my biggest concerns was that I was going to be lonely there. Like, it really was like, I, and like that was one of my biggest worries. And dancing salsa kind of eased that a, a lot. Like, the first day that I moved to Norwich, I got there and I was like, what's, what's the... A, salsa dance event that is going on in this town and i found it and i got out there and that's actually where i met my dance partner while while i was living in the in the uk like she became the girl that i was just like always dancing with and she would help me teach class and everything and i met this guy that actually invited me over to to his um christmas party and Christmas, if you're living in the UK and you don't have family there, can get extremely lonely because it's just like everything shuts down and there's like nothing going on. Um, And he invited me out to his house and was like, hey, come spend Christmas with us. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, And I met him that first day in Norwich. So that's where I would go. For like being my fondest salsa memory it's just kind of like having that that thing where it's like i got out there and i like almost automatically started meeting people almost automatically i had friends and yeah. like everything else everything else for me becomes secondary after that like it really like is like i don't care about dancing well i just don't like it's so long as people like like dancing with me hanging out with me talking to me like i'll be happy uh so i don't mind being a goofball essentially um <laughs> agreed and so that was one um uh, probably when i met albert torres was another one because it was just kind of like this weird moment where i was like mm-hmm. where it, it, it kind of shifted my perspective around 
celebrity culture, I want to say. Like, it just kind of went like, ah, these these are actually human beings. Like, they're, they're yeah. kind of cool people. I can get over this. Mm-hmm. Um, and which goes th- the same for, like, um, I got to meet uh, Ataka y la Alemana back in, I want to say, like, two or three years ago and took a workshop with them. You know, and that and it was really like they had been my bachata heroes for a long time, and getting to meet them was really cool too. Um, that, that's funny you bring them up, man, because I was a little spoiled. I live here in Gainesville. They were in Tampa for a long time, so they were two hours down the road. I actually met them before I even knew who they were. And whoa! Even, yeah, exactly. Like they they did a workshop for us at Gator Salsa Club back in two thousand ten in twenty ten. And this was already after their main bachata video had gone viral, and they were a big deal. But I had no idea who they were, and I was taking a workshop with them. There was probably 30 people in the workshop, which if you've ever taken a workshop with those guys, you know it's usually like five times that much. You can never, never get anywhere close to the stage learning from them. Uh, so I was spoiled, and I had no idea. And I even went to a performance in Jacksonville that same year that they did the same performance that is the one that went viral, so the same music, same choreography. And I'm watching this performance. I'm like, oh, these guys are really good. But I wasn't especially impressed. And then I check a year later on YouTube, and I come across the video that someone filmed of that performance where I was in attendance, and it had 10 million views on it. I was like, holy <laughs> crap. I was at that spot. I had no idea. No idea. So, yeah, man, that's uh, that, that that's crazy. But they, they are, they are very, very cool people. Yeah, they are. They really are very, very great. Um, and come on, come on out for the Tampa Bachata and Salsa Festival. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that's actually a, a good tip that you can that you can give to your listeners. Um, if you want to dance with a uh, like a you know a dance star, uh, this really works for for regular celebrities as well, but. If you want to dance with a dance superstar, pretend that they're not a superstar. Like, pretend you don't know who they are. Because that will, like, one of those things that I've actually found from dancing with uh, people that are big dancers is that people get really uncomfortable with their celebrity. People get really uncomfortable with being treated as essentially gods. So if you just kind of go like, hey, you look, look like a really great dancer. I want to dance with you. They'll probably despond, respond a lot better than saying, oh, my God, I have to dance with you. I, I've, you know, you've been my idol for like, you know, forever kind of thing. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. We all just want to be normal people. Yeah, pretty much. So, Yep. All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anything that you want to plug before we go or just ways that if any of the listeners want to talk with you directly, how they can get a hold of you? Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, I guess it, it, uh, we could start with uh, the Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is uh, Modern Byron, you know, modern as in the word modern and Byron as in the poet. Uh, modern Byron uh and that's my twitter handle um in case you don't if you, in case you're not familiar with uh byron's excellent poetry that would be b y r o n yes yes he's one of my heroes so hence why he's why he's my username um if you look for me on facebook i'll come up that way as well um but mostly i'm pretty like I'm pretty much a normal person. Like I don't have web pages. I don't have, um, yeah, I don't have web pages. I don't have Facebook pages. I, I'm just kind of like a regular person. Um, <laughs> One question I do have on that, actually, Daniel, is if people are traveling to certain areas of the world, you seem like a bit of a world traveler. So if the listeners are going to certain places, what are those places where you may be able to be helpful in reaching out and saying, well, here's a good salsa place that you can check out? Because I travel quite a bit and I find that to be challenging, finding reputable places that I know are going to actually be happening. It's not just a out of date listing. So what are some, some places around the world that if, if our listeners are traveling to, reaching out to you would be a good idea to get the lay of the land. 
Oh, wow. Um, crap. Uh, I want to say Facebook is a good resource. Like, Facebook is really great for finding out salsa events, um, especially if you're in places that are well-connected for that. Um, if you do that in Colombia, that's going to probably be a little bit more of a problem. But if you go to places like the UK, um, I did that when I was going to Amsterdam, uh, and that worked out really well. Um, besides that, uh, there were a couple of sites that I found that were good for that. I don't know if they're still good. Uh, that was like, uh, I want to say like salsafever.com was called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and Daniel, and, and as far as like your specific knowledge of the scenes, like if I were traveling to Bristol, I imagine you could help me out. If I were traveling to like Cali, Colombia, you probably could help me out. Like, are there any yeah. other cities that, that you know really well that, uh, you'd be able to help us out with if we're traveling to those places? Well, the, well, Vancouver is the one that I know best. Uh, and Vancouver, it's like if you're going out salsa dancing, uh, there's, a th- there's a website called uh, salsavancouver.com. And they, they used to have all the salsa events in the, in the community, like literally everything. Um, now they've kind of like tapered, like they've, censored out quite a few of them for political reasons and i would rather not get into it um and but if you're there look for the dancy ballroom uh look for events by um uh what was he called uh latin fever was it what uh the events company was called um the look for a guy called uh dj cachete um he's on facebook and if you're going to victoria and oh crap i don't know like the thing with salsa events is that word of mouth will is like a lot of it does happen underground it does happen like you have to like you have to get the word of mouth to really find the good places to go to so I, that's what I tell people is like, you know, just ask around, ask around a lot. Go to, if you go online and you go and you look up for like uh, Latin parties, uh, a lot of uh, like, you know, Latin parties will come up, you know, uh, places that play let, uh, kind of uh, Latin American music. And that, those will not necessarily be da- dancing events. Like, they will not be proper salsa dancing events. But there will be people that are salsa dancers that will be at them. And if you meet people there, you can get to talking with them and ask them, hey, what's, it, like, what's a good salsa dancing event in this town? And they will probably point you in the right direction. Every Maybe. city, every yeah, every city has its own little kind of a salsa culture, like its own little salsa community. So it and they all work differently. So you really have to just kind of like get there and start talking to people to really get a lay of the land. Um, gotcha. If you if you if you're in uh, Norwich, which is where I lived in the UK, um, you can go and ask, like, go to events held by the the UAA Salsa Society. That's the sal- Salsa Society that I helped to found. Um, just kind of like go online and go UEA Salsa Society, and it comes up. Uh, they're really good with Facebook again. Um, uh, they're oh crap. I forgot the DJs that that were there, uh, Alex and all those people. Anyway, mm-hmm. there, smaller cities like the scene tends to be very compact, so it's really easy to find information about it. When you go out sure. to bigger cities, um, my recommendation really is Facebook, Google. Um, like I like I said, it, it's something like. Uh, I should get online and look for it. It's like Salsa Fever, Salsa Vibe um, are good-ish sites. Like like the events on there 
they were they were a site that was primarily oriented towards um, salsa events, and they and some of them are up to date, some of them are not, unfortunately. Mostly, I recommend people do the word of mouth kind of thing. Got it. Uh, awesome, man. Hey, Daniel, I, again, I appreciate you coming on the show, brother. Um, let's do this again sometime. It was fun. I enjoyed yes. hearing a little bit more about your story and just talking in general about the salsa stuff. I mean, there are so many issues that, that we talk about, and this, this really is one of the interviews that – felt most like a conversation at 5 a.m. at Denny's. I don't know if you have those over in the U.K. and Colombia, but, you know, late night snacking, just talking about different stuff around our community that we that we deal with. So thank you for coming on the show. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you for inviting me.